when you read this accounts of Christ's crucifixion and the road that led to his crucifixion, the procession there, you can't help but ask questions. There ought to be some questions that fill your mind immediately when you look at it. For instance, why is Simon of Cyrene mentioned? I mean, who cares about Simon of Cyrene? Why mention his name? And why does Mark, and Mark is the only gospel writer, why does Mark mention that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus? There are many details in the gospel accounts of Jesus' crucifixion that the writers made no effort to explain. But that does not mean there is no reason for them to have included those details. Over the next few days, on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will explain many of the mysterious details. We're glad you could join us. Verse by Verse is a daily Bible class of the air produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's class is the first of a three-part message about the significance of the cross. We are continuing in chapter 15 of Mark, and today we move on to verses 21 through 32. If you have your Bible, turn there now and let's get started. Here's Pastor Steve. Open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 15, the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel. And I'd like us to look at verses 21 through 32 this morning, so I'll read them to you. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that he might bear his cross. They brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. I know I skipped verse 28, and that's because in some of the very early... Uh, manuscripts that that verse is not is not found. But when you read this account, and it's a penetrating account, but when you read this account of Christ's crucifixion and the road that led to his crucifixion, the procession there, you can't help but ask questions. There ought to be some questions that fill your mind immediately when you look at it. For instance, why is Simon of Cyrene mentioned? I mean, who cares about Simon of Cyrene? Why mention his name? And why does Mark, and Mark is the only gospel writer, why does Mark mention that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus? And then I ask probably a very sarcastic question, why would anyone name their child Rufus? But that's neither here nor there. Another question, why did they crucify Jesus at Golgotha or Golgotha? 
Why? Is there any special significance to that place? The, the gospel writer is clear to tell us that it was at Golgotha. He doesn't just say they brought him to a place. He says they brought him to a place called Golgotha. Also, why did Jesus refuse the drink that was offered to him in verse 23? It says they offered him a drink and he refused it. In fact, Matthew's gospel says that first Jesus tasted it and then he refused it. So there is a definite reason uh, and purpose in Jesus refusing it when he realized what it was. Another question, what was crucifixion like? I've never seen anybody crucified. We don't do that today. No one does that today that I know of. And how was it viewed by Christ's contemporaries? What did they think about crucifixion? What was their opinion? How in the first century would the gospel be received in light of their perception concerning crucifixion? So these are some of the questions that I ask myself as I go through this. Why? And in spite of all these questions you know, the, that the average reader has on this passage, you'll notice that the gospel writer Mark doesn't provide any answers. There are no answers given in this passage of Scripture. Mark, like the other Gospel writers, primarily recorded, and you have to understand this, he primarily, and they primarily recorded the historical facts of Christ's crucifixion. They usually did not offer an explanation or interpretation of these facts. Sometimes they did, but not usually. It's just that they are presenting the facts. So you say, well, then how do we understand, the? how do we interpret these facts? Well, that was left up to the writers of the New Testament letters. Paul and, and Peter and, and John and James and Jude, those who wrote the New Testament letters, explain the significance of the cross and the events surrounding the cross. So the New Testament letters give, the theological, uh, give us theological understanding, but the gospel writers primarily just say this is the way it was. Once in a while they, they do interpret something for us. Now this morning I'd like to divide this passage into four distinct events. And then look at the look at the rest of the Bible and bring it together in order to explain the significance of these four events that surrounded the cross and the cross itself. We're going to look at the provision, the procession to Golgotha, the road or the procession to Golgotha. What did it mean that they were on the road and they called and forced this guy Simon of Cyrene to take care of his cross, to carry his cross, and they went to Golgotha. We're going to look at the procession to Golgotha. Then we're going to look at the refusal to drink. Why did Jesus refuse that drink? Nobody else refused it, and you'll understand why when we get to that. It wasn't the typical thing to refuse the drink. Thirdly, we're going to look at the crucifixion itself and, and what that meant, and also the insults. They mocked him. People came by, and uh, as if Jesus wasn't cruelly treated enough, they, they mocked him. So we're going to look at the insults. Let's begin by looking at the procession to Golgotha. And really, the passage starts in verse 20. The end of verse 20 says, And they led him out to crucify him. And then verse 21 says, And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene. And then Mark tells us, and here's an interpretive sort of statement, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that he might bear... His cross. That is to say that Simon of Cyrene was pulled away from whatever he was doing to bear the cross of Jesus. Now, let's put it together. After the Roman soldiers scourged Jesus and, and they mocked him and they beat him, and we saw this last week, verse 20 says, then they led him out to crucify him. Now, as I said before, Mark, like, like every other gospel writer, just tells us the facts. He, he uh, does not go into 
uh, all the details of the procession. You know why? Because the, the people of that day understood what the procession would be. We don't understand it because we don't live in that day and age. But uh, Mark, remember, was writing primarily to the Romans, to the Christians at Rome, and they understood what what it meant to be led out to be executed by crucifixion. In fact, one uh, Bible writer, one scholar says this, such marches were as common as today's funeral processions. And if I were writing something about a funeral today, I wouldn't necessarily have to write all the details because I assume that my readers understand it. Mark assumed that his first century readers understood this, but but we don't understand it. So let me tell you what ancient history teaches us about how it was, how Rome took uh, took someone who they considered a criminal and led him out to be executed. It went like this. Customarily, four soldiers would escort the prisoner through the crowds of people in the streets, in this case, the streets of Jerusalem. They would put the prisoner in the center, and there would be four soldiers surrounding him. And they took a long route through the streets, didn't take any shortcuts took a long route, and people would line up on the streets and, and watch this. The condemned man would carry either his own cross, which weighed over 200 pounds, the, the whole thing, that is, both, both beams, the long beam and then the one that went across it, or else, and we're not sure, it could be that he just carried the cross beam. Cross, uh, beam. In that case, it would be about 100 pounds. So we're not sure if he carried the whole thing or he carried just the cross beam. In either case, it's pretty heavy. Now, around his neck, he was forced to wear a placard that announced his crime for all to see. And then, as I told you, he would go marching, he would be marched through the streets, taking the long route with this placard hanging around his neck for everybody to see what his crime was. And the reason that Rome did this was as a deterrent against anybody else who might think of doing anything against the Roman Empire, any criminal offense against Rome. So they take the longest route through the city. Now, according to John's gospel, at the outset of Christ's journey to be crucified, he carried his own cross. And yet Mark verse 21, Mark 15, 21, tells us that a man by the name of Simon carried it. Now, that's not a contradiction. It simply means this. Jesus began to carry his cross, but he was unable to carry it the whole way. Remember that Jesus is not simply God. He is human. He is a man, and he did not have the strength to carry this, not because he was weak ordinarily. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter and had to be extremely strong and very masculine. But remember that he had just been scourged. He had lost a lot of blood. He was in excruciating pain. He had not had any sleep the previous night. Recall that. He didn't He didn't sleep. So he hadn't had any sleep. He was emotionally exhausted from the ordeal of Gethsemane, his disciples' defection, Peter's denial, the trials, and being beaten and mocked. And now he's given this 100 pounds or maybe 200 pounds of, of wood to carry, and he was just too weak to carry it. So he started out carrying it, but there was a place where he probably just fell to the ground and he could no longer do it. So verse 21 says, they pressed into service, and pressed means literally they forced him. They forced into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, that he might bear his cross. Now apparently near the city gate of Jerusalem, they were leading Jesus out of Jerusalem, but near the city gate of Jerusalem, the Lord's strength gave out. And just at that time, Just at that time, a man by the name of Simon, coming from a coastal city in in North Africa by the name of Cyrene, 
It's a little bit south of, of Greece, but on the uh, African coast, placed by the name of Cyrene. Uh, he was passing by. It says he was coming from the country. That's uh, uh, What that means is he was coming from outside the city gates into the city gates. Jesus was being led out of the city, and at that moment, Jesus collapsed, and they said, you, get over here, and uh, they forced him to carry the cross. Probably Simon, probably, was one who did not live in Jerusalem. He probably was simply there for the Passover. Remember, this was the Passover time, and he just happened to be walking by, and they pressed him into service, and the soldiers seized him, forced him to carry Christ's cross to the place of execution. Now, I, I want you to notice something significant. Notice that Mark says, and Mark is the only gospel that mentions this, although the other gospel writers mention uh, Simon Cyrene, at least Luke and Matthew do, uh, Mark mentions the name of Simon's two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And I ask myself, why? Why? Why would he mention this? I'll tell you why. These two men, Rufus and Alexander, had to be known by the church at Rome. They were well known. There's no other reason that he would include this. He said, look, it's Simon of Cyrene. You remember him. He's the father of, of Rufus and Alexander, who you know. You know they must have been well known at the church of Rome, or else he would have omitted their names. There's no other reason to say, oh, this guy's the father of so-and-so. Who cares if you don't know who so-and-so is? I want you to uh, stay at Mark 15, but turn, will you, to Romans chapter 16. I'm going to put something together for you that I think is not only fascinating, but it's very helpful, and I think this is the, the significance of what Mark is saying about Simon of Cyrene. It's very important. Romans chapter 16, at the end of Romans, Paul is giving his farewells and his greetings, and he says, so-and-so greets you, and greet this one for me. And, and he says in verse 13, greet Rufus. Greet Rufus. Let's stop there for a moment. Uh, Rufus was a rare name in those days. This is probably the same Rufus. Remember, he's writing to the church at Rome. Who's Mark writing to? The church at Rome. Same, same church. Greet Rufus. It was a rare name. It's not, uh, it's not likely if this was a different Rufus. There weren't that many fathers who dared to give their son the name Rufus in those days and, uh, and today. So this fellow had to be the same Rufus. And notice, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. And watch this. Also, his mother and mine. Does that mean that Simon of Cyrene was, was Paul's physical father? No, no. He just means this, that the mother of Rufus was like a mother to Paul. She was like a mother to Paul. In other words, Simon's wife was a believer in the church at Rome, and Paul knew her as well as Rufus. I'm not sure about what happened to Alexander. Now, when you put this together, it is very probable that Simon of Cyrene became a Christian that day. That very day became a Christian as a result of witnessing our Lord's behavior and his words from the cross. And then his family became believers. Somewhere along the line, he, he became a believer, it would be assumed, because his wife became a believer, his children became believers. And uh, in fact, there's a, there's a song about that. Tom Carn sang that, and I think it's called See or Watch the Lamb. And, and it's a story about, remember that story? We usually have that at, uh, at Easter time how a father comes to Jerusalem to see the uh, to sacrifice his Passover lamb and, and his two sons are with them. And that's, that's the story. But instead of sacrificing his Passover lamb, he meets the lamb of God. He meets the Lord's Passover lamb. Now, 
I take it that Simon became a believer that day. I can't prove that, but I take it that uh, he had to be so impressed with Christ that, that uh, Christ's words that, that made a deep impression on him. And let me just show you something. Turn to Luke, because Mark doesn't tell us something. Luke chapter 23, Luke tells us something that is very, very interesting. And I believe that this was the impression, this was the thing that... that uh, that Simon heard that made such a deep impression upon him. We know as we put the gospel accounts together that what I'm about to read to you is what Jesus said on the way to the cross. Not while he was on the cross, but on the way to the cross, and we know that Simon was carrying his cross. Luke 23, verse 26. And when they led him away, they laid hold of one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And they were following him, that is Jesus, a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? Let's stop there. Let's stop there. What, what do you mean? What do you mean by these words? What he's saying is this, ladies, stop crying for me, start crying for yourself. In a few years, barrenness, which, which was considered a curse in those days, would be considered a blessing. Why? Because in a few years, 70 AD to be specific, the Romans would march into Jerusalem and they would literally destroy the city and destroy the temple. And Jesus says, there's coming a time where you'll wish you have never given birth to anybody. You'll wish that you had never born any, any children because of what the Romans will do. And what he's saying is this, if the Romans did this to, to me, whom they considered innocent. Remember, Rome never considered Jesus guilty. Pilate said he's innocent. If Rome did this to Jesus, who they considered innocent, imagine what they're going to do to, to the people of Jerusalem who they do consider guilty of treason. That's what he's saying. Weep for yourself. Always thinking about other people, and I believe that made an incredible impression upon Simon of Cyrene. Here's a man who has just been scourged, who has just been beaten, who has just been mocked, and he's being led out to be crucified. He can't even handle the cross himself. Blood is dripping down. It is a horrendous sight. He is going to be put uh, under the most excruciating of pain. And here he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. And I think that had to make an impression upon Simon. I believe that's, that Simon became a believer. Christ's selfless concern for others must have deeply impressed him. And I think that's the significance of this. Simon became a believer, and then his family became believers. Now, verse 22 tells us, we go back to Mark 15. Verse 22 tells us that Simon carried the cross to a place called Golgotha. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Now, what does that mean? Golgotha is an Aramaic word, and that Aramaic was the form of Hebrew that they spoke. It's not the same as Arabic, which is spoken today. Aramaic was like Hebrew. But Golgotha is an Aramaic word which means skull, skull. Jesus was crucified on a hill that resembled a, a, a skull. Uh, Calvary, by the way, is the Latin 
word for skull. Calvary comes from the Latin word for skull, related very, very close to the word cranium. Cranium, the skull. Golgotha, Calvary, it's, it's the same thing. Jesus was crucified on a hill that looked like a skull. Some people say, well, Jesus was crucified on a place where they had a lot of, a, a lot of skulls around there. No, that, that's not true. Uh, that, that's not, that's not the case. Uh, the, the Romans would have, would have not done that because the Jewish people would feel that's a defiled place. That'd be a grave site. And they, Jews didn't even walk on that, on those places. So no, it was the place of a skull. It looked like a skull. I've been to the place that many people believe to be Golgotha. And you can. You can see the shape of a, of a human skull in the rock formation. Uh, it's interesting to note that uh, on top of that place is an Arab cemetery, and on the bottom is an Arab bus station. It really is. That's right. You say, is there no place sacred? There is a bus station right on the bottom, and on the top of the hill is an Arab cemetery. And right near it is a garden tomb like the scriptures teach. Very close. We had communion at the garden tomb, and then we walked maybe uh, 100, 200 feet to look at Golgotha. It was a moving experience, and I remember just staring at that, that spot and thinking that this is where it all took place. This is where heaven and earth met and had that great transaction. Very moving experience, and you can very clearly see the skull in that, in that place. Now, the place of Christ's death, was that really significant? Is that important? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that's why Mark tells us about this. According to Numbers chapter 15, verse 35, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, Numbers 15:35 says that criminals under the Mosaic law were to be executed outside the camp, which is another way of saying outside the city, camp or city, wherever the people were. Remember, Numbers was written while they were in the wilderness, and they literally camped in the wilderness. So a criminal was taken outside the city to be executed. So the place of Christ's death was significant. Golgotha was outside the city. Of course, today it's inside the city because Jerusalem has, has grown tremendously. But in that, in that day, it was outside the city. Why is that significant? Will you turn to Hebrews chapter 13? And let me give you the theological ramifications of that. We sometimes read the scriptures and we don't realize these things, but Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, the writer says this, Therefore Jesus also, Hebrews 13, the last chapter, verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered where? Outside the gate or outside the camp. Now stay at Hebrews 13. Stay there. In other words, Jesus died as a common criminal. He died as a common criminal, rejected by his own people. He came unto his own, his own refused him. They didn't receive him. But notice, notice what the writer to the Hebrews does. He says, Jesus was rejected. He was crucified like a common criminal outside the city. That's, that's the importance of this statement. Dr. John MacArthur said that when Jesus told his disciples that they needed to pick up their crosses and follow him, he did not need to conduct a three-day seminar on the meaning of the cross. Those men knew exactly what the cross was about. They had seen countless men crucified. But, not having witnessed that horrible event ourselves, we need some training in order to begin to comprehend the significance of that ancient instrument of death. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this message on the next verse-by-verse. 
Pastor Steve has been serving for over 28 years as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Visit us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. You can listen again to today's class or download any of the hundreds of previous classes kept on the archives page. If you'd like to help keep these classes on the air, there is information on the website to explain how you can be an important part of this ministry. The web address is versebyverseradio.org. That's all one word. Call us to order a CD or cassette with the entire message. The phone number is 727-239-0306. Leave your name and phone number and we will return your call during regular business hours. Just about anyone who is in pain would like relief. So why did Jesus refuse a drink offered to him that would have eased his pain? There was a very good reason for his refusal, and we'll consider that on the next Verse by Verse. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. Jerry Pruden